You are listening to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have not, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe that the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1:17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, and if this is your first time to listen, we're so glad you're here. And this is episode 115. Our guest today is Priscilla Shields. Priscilla is a minister at Church on the Move, and um, I heard her story at a conference about a year ago and was so moved and impressed by her story that I was like, we have to have her on our podcast. So we got it finally arranged, and she's here today to tell her story, and it is so honest and raw and real, and I just love it. Me too. And my impression of her today, spending time with her and getting to know her, was just what a pure heart she has. Something she said in our interview today is that she loves equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, and I just feel like that just sums her up. That's what she, she just is the package of what a pure heart she has. She's just great. You're going to love this conversation, everyone. So listen in. Hi, Priscilla. Thank you for coming today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. We're so thrilled you are here to share your story with us, with our listeners. And would you get us started today with a little bit of kind of who you are? Tell us a bit about your life and what makes you tick. I would love to. What makes me tick? Oh my, that's a loaded (laughs) question. We'll get to that later. Um, Well, my name is Priscilla Shields and I'm a pastor at Church on the Move at our Tulsa location. I've actually been on staff there since 2006 and I've been in, I can't even imagine how many roles, everything but production. They don't like me to push buttons, so I'm never allowed up there. But um, I've done everything from children's ministry assistant to HR director to finance director, and then just felt this call to transition to the ministry side um, 2019 at the end, so right before COVID happened. So I picked a great time to be a pastor, (laughs) and so I stepped into that role at the beginning of 2020 and very much got fast-tracked into all things pastoral, as everyone did. So, But it's been so cool to be a part of every season at Church on the Move because they've been around so long. I know I've been there since 2006, but we've been attending uh, 27 years, and so oh my goodness, yes. Yeah, so so we, you've seen families have generations, oh like goodness. children, and now they're married and have children. <laughs> it's wonderful and awful at the same time. We used to volunteer in kids ministry, my husband and I, Mike, for 15 years, and so our little two-year-olds are now married with kids, and you know, late 20s, early 30s, oh, still calls Mr. Mike and Miss Priscilla, and we're like, oh, hey, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we've been able to raise our own kids there. So Mike and I have been married for uh, 25 years, and our kids are Braden and Brooklyn. Braden's 24, Brooklyn's 19, so we've raised them at Church on the Move. They've both gone to Lincoln their whole lives and graduated. And is Lincoln the school it is. held inside Church on the Move? It is. Okay, great. It is, and so we've been, we've it's been one life together mm-hmm. uh, walking through that, so it's been really fun. Uh, really fun and feels fast, so, mm-hmm. but... Yes, yeah, so I love it there. Uh, what we're doing right now, it's a cool season to be in. Um, I think we feel that at all of our churches, just growth, but also just stability and health and people wanting to come to a place that's real and authentic. Mm-hmm. And they want community. They want to find a place to belong. And we're able to, as a family of churches, give that to them. So fun season, but as you know, busy, busy season. Yes. So, but lots of fun things. So what exactly is your ministerial role at Church on the Move? That's also a, a loaded question. So <laughs> the overarching title is Next Steps Pastor. And so I really get to oversee some fun ministries at our church. So our prayer team, our care team that helps us care for people during the week, 
our baptism team, our next move team, which is kind of just the, the main front door, a gathering that we have once a month where people can know us more and know how to use their gifts at the church. And then our team also oversees the host and guest experience team. So all the weekend service, adult ministries type things roll up into me and I'm heavily involved with care. Um, that's been since COVID, our whole team is, but I kind of help oversee that process too. So yeah, fun stuff, lots of biz busy things. And lots of needs there. Oh, People yes. People have um, just deep uh, situations that I'm sure you're able to reach out to them mm -hmm. and be very involved with helping them. And that's pretty cool. It's pretty about. cool. It's pretty cool in the sense that these these issues or needs or problems or relationship challenges have always been. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people now um, are in a, in a better place to be able to feel safe to share and understand how they can get help and even reaching out for help. Um, we're providing that space for them to do that. And that's wonderful, but it is a lot. So we have to raise up a lot of people who have this gift of caring for others that do it as a lay leader and they love it and they're passionate about it and they help us do ministry. So a lot of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, right. that's kind of our main job in doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because and then I know you said you were doing hospital visits to the, earlier today. I was. Two dear friends of mine, um, both separate issues today. I was in the hospital just with another one of our pastors that I work alongside and visiting them, praying over them just walking with them through that and moving from that to a care lunch. And just, it's been, it's been like that really since COVID where just lots of needs have surfaced, but it just makes me so thankful for the family that you have at church that can care for one another and walk alongside each other. That's, it's a really incredible thing to be a part of. Mm -hmm. So how did you and your husband meet? Oh, oh, I don't know if I want to share this story. I will. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. So I'm, I'm the more outgoing, bubbly, energetic one. And he's very reserved and he's a, a few years older than me. And so when we were really young, I was 19, I think I was working at Price Mart at the time. So all of those changed to research. And I just remember he was working there too, but he, he was unlike everybody else that was working there he was actually working like he was just, it was the strangest thing and I he would work and he would come and do his job and very focused didn't really talk to a lot of people I was like what is this um so I was working in customer service happened to mention to a co-worker who doesn't keep things quiet so I should have known <laughs> I just mentioned that I thought he was cute and unbeknownst to me she went and told him so I'm just Minding my business, checking out people in, in the line. And he comes through my line. I did not know this conversation had happened. And uh, he just had never spoken a word to me. And the first thing he says as he's leaving my line is, so you think I'm a hot tamale, huh? And he's, he just keeps walking. I'm mortified. And that was our first conversation. Um, and then it's all been history since then. Um, it's like our running joke. If we have stockings at Christmas, that there's like a pack of hot tamales in this thing. He loves telling that. Like she, oh, she so just was totally hitting. It's not true, but yeah. So we met kind of that way and just coming from very different individual backgrounds and home lives and just. The, the way that we came together and just started doing life together, working out things that I'm sure we'll get into later, but it was it was kind of a cute way to meet. <laughs> <laughs> Very much opposites attract situation. So, and that was a long time ago. I'm 47 now, so I was 19 when we first met. Wow. What a yeah. story. Yes. <laughs> okay, so let's kind of start going into that. So okay. I heard you speak at a conference at Church on the Move. Yes. My daughter attends there, and so I was there with her mm -hmm. and heard your story and was like, we have to have her for the podcast. This oh, is such a great story. So, so wherever you want to start, go ahead and Oh, start. my. Well, um, so a lot of what I shared during that workshop had to do with my testimony of mm -hmm. just meeting the real Jesus, but also the navigation of how my everyday life 
there was just a lot of things I had to walk through that I wasn't ready for until I was older. Um, back when I was younger, my mom and dad, my mom is just this really beautiful, spicy little Korean. My dad, Italian, like macho, looked like Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> I said this, and I, I'm, I'll, I'll say it on the podcast for the public to hear. He looked like Sylvester Stallone pre-plastic surgery. Like, he, like <laughs> right. back in the gotcha. day. When, yeah. Yes. In the before, Rocky days. In the Rocky days, Rocky but one. Rocky won before he got his face all busted up by the other people. So. But, like, he just had this massive amount of charisma. And so we just, as a family, my mom, my dad, my older brother and I, we went to church regularly. We looked like this picture-perfect family. And then what the reality of our life didn't show to the outside world is how broken our home life was. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, super charismatic. He knew the Bible front to back. We actually moved to um, the Broken Arrow area when I was three so he could go to Rama and be, you know, he wanted to be a pastor. Oh, Rama Bible College. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So he was super gifted in all of these things. But our home life did not match what was happening on the outside. So I grew up in just this weird in-between place of learning about who God is, but more so learning what I thought God was based on my home. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. as at a very young age, he left us. And he, um, he did not come back, but every once in a while. And he was not a good person, just the, the things that he would do to my mom, being unfaithful. There's a lot of realities that were formed in me based on what I lived. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had this amazing mom who was just this rock star that I was just convinced, okay, maybe I don't need a dad. My brother's a different story and just that relationship. But, you know, she would, as when she was still single, she would work three jobs to provide for us. Wow. And she just did everything that she could. Um, I remember every single night, walking into the room and her tattered Bible would just be marked up and she'd be reading and praying. Like that's how I learned what, what it looked like to follow Jesus. But on, on the flip side, I learned this reality of like, but is God good based on what I'm experiencing in my life? So long story short, carried that all throughout my life and even into ministry so 2006, I'm still pretty young in ministry, brand new to it, love church on the move. Amazing that we had such a, an incredible founding pastor in Willie George because I'd never heard a strong man speak about the truth of scripture, but also his life matched, matched what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And I could see that in the way that he led our church, the way he led his family I just it was foreign to what I had experienced so I just kind of doubled down on this whole throw yourself into ministry get wrapped up into it there's an achieving side that was there there was this undertone all throughout that until my early 40s of striving and just wanting to prove something and just keep pursuing achievement that I never did recognize what it was rooted in until um, I was 41 or 42. So this is about five or six years ago. I had gotten word that my, my dad was here in town for some reason, but he was in the hospital days, maybe hours away from dying. And I think it was of cancer. Oh, my. How long so, had it been since you'd seen him? Oh, years. He just was never in our in our home. And I was wrestling with this tension of, like, I had closed, closed mm-hmm. that chapter. And I had moved on convincingly. Like, I had told myself I'd moved on. So do I even want to go see him? And by the time I wrestled that to the ground, he had passed away. So my brother and I go to the funeral, and we're, we're sitting there with his family members. And if you've never been to an Italian funeral, it's something to watch. <laughs> so there was a lot of things happening, a lot of big emotions. 
but not a lot of friends. It was mostly his sisters, brother, family members, and then us. I went there to pay my respects. Did you know very many of your extended family? We, yes, we, well, no, not, not really. My uncle, my father's brother, he kind of took our family under his wing. He lived here with my auntie, um, my aunt Linda, and he was the same, like Italian macho, but loved God and actually walked it out. And so he took us under his wing as far as just checking in on us, caring for us. Um, but outside of him, we weren't in relationship with anyone. Knew some faces, but... But I'm sitting there at the funeral, and it just felt like a stranger's funeral. You would hear his family members say, he was the best Christian I've ever met. He would give you the shirt off his back. He would do anything for you. And I'm, as these words are spoken, and everyone's crying, and I have zero emotion, Mm -hmm. I'm wrestling with this reality of, but he didn't, he didn't love me. He didn't, he wasn't there for me. And stuff started to come to the surface that I was just convinced I had gotten over. And what I had actually done was just massively suppress all of that and threw myself into striving for approval from man or just anything else that would fill that void. And I wasn't really facing the reality of what that was rooted in because I didn't know it was there. So that that stuff starts to surface, and I think it was that week on a Wednesday night, we were still doing services. In the middle of worship, I just broke. And I mean, not even cute crying. It's the kind where the snot, the the tear, every surface thing on my face was just leaking. (laughs) And worship's happening. My husband's next to me. I'm sure I don't have tissues. It was just a mess. But in that moment... That was the first time I had allowed myself to get angry with God and the root of what was in me came out. Like I, I had this angry conversation with him and I just blamed him for everything. I said, you are the reason I didn't have a father. You're the reason, like you're not good and I don't trust you. And in that moment, all this stuff is coming up. So angry. And then all I felt was this overwhelming sense of grace on me. And um, he just said, I've been trying to be your father this whole time. And you kept running from me. And in a flash, I saw what my life would have been like if he had remained in it. I wouldn't be married to the husband I have. I wouldn't have the kids that I have. I would not be following God, for sure. Wouldn't be in ministry. And all the gifts that are being used for God's goodness now would never have come to the surface. They would have, they would have been suppressed. And so it was just this wave of a picture of my life, what of what it would have been. And I felt this massive, overwhelming protection, and his goodness was revealed in such a way that could not have come without that breaking. Mm-hmm. So that was intense. And I have no words to be able to even to explain to my husband who's standing next to me, what in the world's happening? But I just remember not even feeling the, man, why did I wait so long? I just felt okay to be in that moment. And just realizing that the hardness of that soil was starting to like break up and get tilled to where, like, what his goodness even means, the new realities of what he was to me started to get planted in a different way. We call that at our church meeting the real Jesus. 
you can be in ministry for a long time and have these moments of revelation where it's like, man, I did not know that was there. But this was probably the most massive one that I've had. And it was very, like, within six years, so very recent. And that just unlocked some crazy things from that point forward. Um, yeah, so the last six years has been fantastic. <laughs> and, you know, there's so many ramifications of not really trusting that God is good that played out in my relationships, played out in my inability to surrender. All Like, we talk a lot about surrender, but I think I had... I just compartmentalized surrender. I was very much in control of my own life. So so I thought. And I just remember being so aware at that moment of how limited I was as a human and my ability to understand. Mm -hmm. And even my need for understanding, some of that went away. Like, I don't, I may never fully be able to reconcile that situation. I'm going to, have to be okay with that because what I got was better yeah even if I ignored it truly for a really long time so yeah I mean the day that you attended your dad's funeral you probably had no way of knowing that you were about to have a life-changing reaction and experience something that was going to literally just from underneath <laughs> that you thought was buried so deep that you thought it wasn't even there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, within attending the funeral to the moment that you broke, how many days were between that or weeks? Or oh, it was less than a week. Less than a week. Mm -hmm. Oh, and if I would have known that was coming, I wouldn't have gone. Right. I'm very much going to avoid <laughs> that at all costs. Oh, you're, there is a breaking coming? I'll just avoid that. No, yeah. I, I think that... And, Honestly, that was some of my issue is some of those moments for me have had to, they've had to sting differently because of how stubborn and controlling I tend to be in situations like that where it's like, I've got this. Mm -hmm. I'm good. I've mm -hmm. got this. It, it's not usually a soft hug for me. <laughs> Revelation's not usually like, oh, it doesn't always feel it feels the way that it needs to for for me to have understanding and me to have revelation. Yeah. And we've talked about that before with other people, like how God speaks to one person, mm -hmm. his like way that he does it mm -hmm. is different than it might be for me. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was just talking to someone like, Oh, he's so sweet. I'm like, is he? <laughs> That's awesome for you. And he is. But he also knows how to get through to me. It's just whether or not I'm going to listen. So, yes, it was a very short amount of time. And honestly, that was for my benefit. Uh, if we would have had more than a week, I've already moved past that emotion. Like, what was that? I'm, I'm not going to surface that again. There were very much divinely orchestrated moments in that tragedy that God was working the whole time. It's like, this is... I'm going to use what I know is what's going to happen. I'm going to use that to prove to you that you can trust me. And it's time. Like, you want to be in your 50s and 60s? Do you, I mean, how much longer do you want to wait where we, I've got you. And that, that took some, what I thought were disconnected things. It took those to be like divinely orchestrated for me to have this moment. And that just kind of set me on a trajectory that is very much a God thing. How long did it take you to verbalize, this is what God has done in my heart with well, this huge broken moment? So, I, well, I might as well tell you this. The stubbornness doesn't go away right away. So I just was like, I'm not talking about this to anybody. <laughs> I'll tell Mike. Yes, that's great. I was the... The people at the church, my like our teams, our staff, our leadership, they didn't even know I went to my father's funeral. Like, oh yes, it was that bad to where I was like, I'm not going to share my business with anyone. I'm just going to go and 
because that unlocks so many other things of like, oh, well, why don't you have questions? Like, yes. And, yeah. Which is all from love. But I'm like, no, that was, I'm just going to, this is a separate thing, compartmentalized. Keep mm-hmm. those conversations. Mm-hmm. It's a separate thing. Never happening. <laughs> yes. It's funny you can care for other people well and just not receive it well. That's a different conversation. But um, because I was so tight-fisted with it, we're sitting in an all-staff meeting, which we do once a month. Our entire staff, school and church, all in the room. He drops it in my heart. He's like, this is where you're going to share. I'm like, that is so rude. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) And, And at that point, I was like, I don't want the consequence of, of the next, if I don't do it now, like, what's next? So I shared some of it, just the revelation moment I had. Then I got in trouble. I was like, you didn't tell us that? Yes. No, I <laughs> they didn't. They didn't even know that your dad had died or anything. No. No, that was the first phase. Wow. So it was, I mean, this is all within the span of the same month that the communication of this happened and it was that that moment right there kind of started to transition the trial to a testimony I wasn't there yet because I didn't have all this understanding over here yet and understand how okay now that we've got this tilled up we got to start talking about pride, achievement, control, all these other things that needed to be eliminated mm-hmm. and set. I needed to be set free from. It was a very specific series of things that kind of continued to move that thing to a testimony while I was being pruned at the same time. Mm-hmm. Fun times. That's so. <laughs> <laughs> Pruning, yes. so fun, Pruning. so Yay. so fun. <laughs> I felt that one, um, yeah. and every time I shared, it depended on the why. I just it became more of a like I don't look back and see that as regret or I wish it never happened. Now I'm like, man, I have this one life, and this is the life I was given. How am I using the good, the bad, and the ugly for the glory of God? Because without that, I I don't know that I get to do what I do now. I just don't know. So, yeah, it's been a fun Did the pruning happen? <laughs> did the pruning happen as you shared it more with more people? It was, it, a lot of the pruning was private, and a lot, and there, there was a side of it that was public, and some of it was, Especially when I started to talk about specific things like pride, one of, I would, I wouldn't call it my favorite topics, but most consistent topics that I talk about is that because I'm so well versed in it. And so every time I shared more about how the effects of these broken relationships informed just this, well, I'll call it idolatry. It's just misalignment of your heart. Mm -hmm. That's Every time I shared, something else would surface, like, you still haven't. Great. Okay. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I'll move on to that one. And it was just kind of this very, it wasn't harsh. It wasn't like, okay, you you broke that up. Here's your 28 things that you have to solve today. It wasn't like that. It was very much as they came up, I was able to make a decision whether or not I was going to submit or take it back, like. It was always that, are you going to surrender or take it back into your own hands? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I would get it right, sometimes I wouldn't. And all of it was wrapped in truth and grace. So Mm -hmm. it's it's been a journey and not one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading this morning um, in the reading plan I'm doing this year in Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. And the section about taking our hearts before the Lord there's a specific reference to circumcising your heart mm-hmm. and how, I mean, that does sound like a pruning, doesn't it? <laughs> I it's mean, a certain kind of it's a certain kind of pruning. <laughs> uh, we don't have to take that analogy much further than that, but we can just say, we can see that our hearts mm-hmm. are, when we are obedient to say, yes, Lord, mm-hmm. and to spiritually circumcise the heart and to say, I, I want to be 
set free from all this stuff that's going to hold me back. And when we obey, then all kinds of things are brought forth and good things happen and God uses the the things we've gone through mm-hmm. and he doesn't waste any yes. of what we've been through. Yes. That is that's been the biggest surprise to me and I don't know why it's a surprise because it's all throughout scripture but just how the very things that I was so afraid of before things simple things like public speaking like that's the one thing I'll never do. That's what I was telling myself. All mm-hmm. of these things that I was just kind of this conversation always going on in my head of what you can't do. You're you're not good at this. So don't ever think that that's going to be a thing. Realizing that a lot of that was rooted in mistrust, but also a very targeted suppression of what gifts lied within me. Mm. And you know, that's what that's what the enemy does oftentimes is he uses the very thing, wraps it in fear, and buries it just through the different thoughts that come to your mind, the things, the doubts that are planted, those things that I never would have even thought were gifts. It could not even come near the surface until I figured this out. Without the divine revelation of the the things that I was misplacing my trust in and what I really thought about God during that time, if that didn't get broken away, there's no way for those gifts to rise. And so that's been the most surprising thing about the last six years is just I thought I knew who I was. And these aren't new things that were given to me. They've been suppressed things that Mm. I've been lying to myself about. It's just the strangest thing. But that's been interesting. That's been an interesting journey. What are some of those gifts that you've discovered? Well, the only class that I got a C in college in that I just was, I'd rather just drop this class. (laughs) Give me an F, I'm good, was public speaking. I just remember the first time I had to give any type of speech, just this not even a stream. It was more like a river of sweat from the back of my (laughs) head, just straight down and just clamminess. And it's like, this is the worst thing ever. Why would anybody want to do this? After that happened, and then with some of the things that happened with COVID, there was this opportunity to communicate a little, like little by little. I just fought it for so long. I was like, you got the wrong person. But there were people in my life that started to call out giftings that they would see in me. And I just started moving towards that. I I prayed this terrible prayer. (laughs) (laughs) What was the terrible prayer? (laughs) Well, and it was more of a statement because I knew I was being called to the ministry side of our church. And I just said, God, I'm just going to let you know now I'm going to say yes to ministry. And I could just see him up there just like giggling and rubbing his hands together. (laughs) She said it now, can't take it back. And then that just, that very next couple of months is when COVID happened. And that kind of made a lot of us transition how we were speaking, had to bring more people to the team, which started me on this path that I'm on now is like, I can be in front of people and I don't, I don't think about myself. I'm thinking about them. When you have a suppressed gift that tries to surface and you're still dealing with striving, you're only thinking about yourself in those situations, which sets you up to fail. Right. And you're very ineffective in ministry. So when that stuff started to fall away, the nervousness was met with just like this Holy Spirit boldness that I can't take credit for. And that's been pretty cool to watch. So I would I would say one of the things about that, the public speaking side of the giftings is, is something that's come up that's been very surprising. I've had a lot of people listening to us today are in the same situation that you were before all of this wonderful thing, you know, the mm-hmm. growth and all the things that have happened in your life. They may be sitting there thinking, well, I don't have any gifts. God didn't give me any. Oh, yeah. And I think they're mistaken because the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. He does. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, 
that's not a maybe. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> he gives us gifts. So um, what would you say to a listener who's sitting there shaking her head going, not me, I don't have any gifts. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it's not possible. Um, that's not possible. So it's one of two things. It could be a situation like mine where life circumstance has, has kind of suppressed those gifts. But I see it in my own life and I see it in other people where exhaustion and mm-hmm. burnout and anxiety suppress those gifts. If you look at the story of Jacob and Esau, and it and it says Esau came in from the field and he's just begging for a pot of stew. And he he so willingly gives away his birthright mm-hmm. in that moment. But what people miss is what it says when he walked in from the field. It said Esau walked in from the field exhausted. He was exhausted. And that led to a series of very simple decisions for him to give away his birthright. And he did it. And then it said he said when when he walked away from it, he despised his birthright. And I think a lot of people right now are so exhausted or swept up in the busyness of life that they have actually despised the gifts that God's given them instead of embraced them. So it's not a matter of do I have gifts or not. I think some people might be wrestling with do I even like the gifts that I have. They're not seeing God moving in those because C.S. Lewis says this. um, He wrote this with screw tape letters. Um, Screw tape is writing to his nephew. If you don't know that story, it's like this uncle demon writing. To, it sounds terrible. You have to read the no, book. No, it's really cool. It's actually. so cool. But yeah. he's writing How to his to nephew. How to trip up the Christians. Yes. <laughs> and it's not like, he's not talking about massive things. No. He says to him in one of his letters, something like, never underestimate how enslaved they are to the pressures of the ordinary. And I feel like a lot of people are enslaved to the pressures of the ordinary to where these gifts that they do have are either suppressed, despised, ignored, or because they don't have time, they're too busy with whatever else is in life, they're not giving any attention to it. So go back to the first question. It's not possible that you don't have those gifts, but if one of those four things are present, it's going to be really hard for Mm -hmm. God to do a work in you to bring those to light. Mm -hmm. And if they do come to light and you're not ready for it because of these other things, that's where the striving comes in. And I found myself doing that for years. So, And I think that pride that you get when you're striving Mm -hmm. feels like protection. It Mm -hmm. feels like... Like you're putting this shell around yourself, mm-hmm. and I can do it, and I got it. Like nobody needs to get involved. It's fine. I got this. Yeah. But it, we don't realize until we're right in the middle of it. Yes. That's something I have to work on too. That like that is just our mm-hmm. shield that we're putting. It is, and you you can tend to be okay staying the same, even if the same is hurting you, hurting your family. Because at least you know what that is. We talk about the the familiar oppression or um, that being safer than unfamiliar freedom. A lot of people don't understand how heavy the weights are until they start to lift. Mm. And then when they start to lift, it's such a foreign feeling that they just grab for them and like, I got it. And I think that's just the the way that the flesh works. It's like, yeah you've got this. You don't need anybody else. You don't, you, you can do this. It's harder in ministry to, uh, to know the difference because you're doing the work of the ministry. So that's where it can get a little bit tricky for people who are lay leaders, who volunteer, who are on staff. They're a part of something bigger than them. It's, you can start to get those things, the borders kind of messed up a little bit. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. On the other side of that same coin, there may be also some people that are, they're afraid to try using their gifts and they're just not serving anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that we miss so many blessings 
when we do not serve. One of the things I would love for our listeners to be thinking about today is to be looking, you know, are there pockets and places that the Lord would have me open up to serve Mm -hmm. in little ways or big way? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just being willing to have a conversation Mm -hmm. with someone and take the time. Yes. I don't know what the Lord has for the people listening, but I can say that Satan wants to keep us from serving. He wants to keep us so busy. We won't serve. Uh The blessings that are overflowing our hearts when we do serve Mm -hmm. change the whole way we feel. And we can rejoice when we're doing what giftings we've been given because it feels Mm life-giving, not (laughs) burdensome. Yes. I think we cut ourselves off from that sometimes. We've experienced that just when we were at Church on the Move from the very beginning. um, We had some very loud lady that we didn't know come up to us at church. And (laughs) Mike and I barely were trying to figure out if we knew each other, liked each other, like doing life together. And then she's like, I want you guys to come serving kids. It wasn't a question. It wasn't a do you want to come serving. It was like, I need you to show up next Sunday in this classroom. And we're... We don't even know if we like kids at this point. <laughs> we were dating, actually. We were, I think, engaged. And so she's like, come serve with me. Statement. And it was very much a yes, ma'am response because of her personality. It was not a question mark. It wasn't a question mark. And we were there for 15 years. And we did life with this group of people. We learned a lot about who we were. We grew as a couple. We had some of our hardest years of marriage because we were we were still working through all of the things we had brought into the relationship from our family. So that that was in itself something. But that time spent pouring into other people's kids for that much time, I know that our kids were blessed because of the time we spent with other people's kids. You can't put a price tag on that. The way that they've had favor growing up just and been able to use their gifts in different ways, but honestly favor with people, I know is a direct reflection of of the time spent there and I think volunteering or even outside of the church doing as ministry serve somewhere nothing will make you stop thinking about your own issues more than serving somebody else Mm -hmm. and when you do that faithfully now there is there is a line Mm -hmm. that line of like that serving is not a replacement for a relationship with God so there's the ditch on that side of I'm serving all the time. I'm doing all these things. When's the last time you had a conversation with God? Mm-hmm. When's the last time you were in his word? When's the last time you attended a church service? <laughs> like there there are ditches yeah. on both sides. Mm-hmm. But when you find that middle ground, it's it's interesting. Some of our best leaders at our church, I don't know how they do everything they do. They might be entrepreneurs. They might work 60 hours a week there and then come serve four to five hours with us. And I watch God do this in our lives and other people's lives where he just maximizes people's time back to them. So serving just unlocks a whole lot of things um, and just trying things just to see. Sometimes you don't know you have a gift until you put yourself in a position to discover that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So is that what you're talking about when you say like other people were kind of noticing gifts that you had that you didn't realize that you had? Yes, and uh, that is something just when your self-awareness around those things isn't there and God's trying to get you to see something and you're not listening, then he'll usually bring somebody else along like, she's not listening to me and just (laughs) (laughs) go talk to her. Uh, but that he was just bringing people in my life to affirm some of those things because they were so opposite of what my truths were in my whole life. Like I just, it was hard to take that and pivot so far over here because I, my reality was that is the last thing I'll ever do. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about something else. And it just took several people affirming those things, calling them out, allowing me to fail forward so many times. And taking the time to help me steward that discovery process that I didn't have that because I'm already driven. I'm already an achiever. It's not the same as, is, and I want to do those things, but I want to do them in areas I'm good at. If I'm going <laughs> to fail, I'm not going to do it. Right. And so I had to have both. It was that pursuit of like, okay, stop striving, just submit. 
I had that going on while other people were kind of helping to speak into these areas. Mm. So, yeah. So to your point, yeah. that, that is some of what I was experiencing too. Having other people call out gifts in you, hey, you might be really good serving in j or I would love to see you on the prayer team. Oftentimes those recruited gifts and people like, oh, that awakens something in people. Yeah. When you had that anger towards God mm-hmm. and that, when you had that moment, did it, for you, did it absolve the anger immediately or did, was it still something you had to work through? Oh, definitely no. Because of my stubbornness um, and honestly, anything that that's that deep seated, there was a daily submission and surrender. And like, I had to take specific things to the cross daily. And I, because the natural tendencies of my, my soul or everything that I experienced there was part of me that was transformed in that moment, but then there was like the hard wiring stuff that I still had to walk through because I'm still me. Mm-hmm. Like the, the things that, that all of the things I've experienced, I'm still me. So I knew that there was going to be a process. And so I had to, I had to be okay with not taking on the shame that I'm still here. The pride issue. Every right. time I talked about it, there was right. something new. Great, thought we were over this. I've talked about this four times this year, and there's something new. There was, you know God's in it and leading it if the condemnation isn't there. Mm-hmm. So when that starts to get there, and you're probably not listening to the right voice. And so I, I was able to kind of distinguish between the two as I was working those things out. So it was. So if you start hearing shame and condemnation, that is the wrong voice yes. to be listening to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, or even weaponizing scripture against you. Like, there's a lot of things when you start to hear things that don't align with love and truth. Like, they have to both be there. All those other feelings that come, Mm -hmm. they're meant to keep you in bondage. Well, Priscilla, what are some, maybe a last closing thought that you want to tell our listener today? Maybe you just want to make sure they know know one more thing before Mm -hmm. we end our conversation. Just, boy, and I'm I'm a brand new, I don't want to say brand new baby at this, but when you look at the amount of years I wasn't doing this versus now, you know, I'm six years old. (laughs) And this (laughs) new, expanded, less filtered way of thinking, my perspective has been unlocked significantly. Um, I would say don't shy away from asking God to search you. Search me, God. Know my heart. Just illuminate inside of me anything you need me to see because he is going to do it in such a way where you know he's for you and he loves you. You have to, you have to train yourself when you hear something that's not that that it's not God. So asking that question is super scary because he will. And if you are willing to listen, stuff will start to come up that could be used to condemn you. Like if you're, if you're not careful, that's how divine revelation works. You can't unsee it. Like, Oh, Oh, I don't like that. That Okay. Make that go away. You just can't unsee it when it happens. And when God's in it, there's just this pruning, yes, washing away of residue, yes, but his love kind of transcends all of that, and so does his goodness. So just be okay with submitting to that process, and there's no light switch. The only light switch is like, I accept Jesus. The sanctification mm-hmm. process, there's no fast track for that. You have to go through it, but I think the area where... I've had the most revelation I mentioned briefly before just in this whole idolatry thing. And there's a specific scripture. Isaiah 2.8 says, Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. And I've come to a pretty significant realization how many different idols I've had throughout my life. Ministry was one of them. Mm-hmm. Even good things can be even good things. Your kids, your schedules with your children, like 
the the way I was this is a whole different conversation for another time but the way I was kind of driving my daughter to pursue this volleyball dream and just what that was rooted in that achieving side like there's so much of a good thing that could anything that's not centered in the lordship of Jesus as the primary big rock is going to be an idol your relationship with your spouse could be anything um, so just really objectively evaluating the state of your life and being okay to see the ugly with the good and just asking, Holy Spirit, I need you. I can't, there's not, there's no way to tackle all of this on my own. I need grace, but I need truth and I need you to walk with me and if you don't submit, if you still compartmentalize surrender, you're always going to be in the cycle of condemnation because nothing will get better. If you don't surrender, mm -hmm. you're just going to take it back into those hands. Mm -hmm. Their land is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. That's what they knew. That's what they knew to do because I did this. And so I would just say that's all of these things are good and just not being afraid of the pruning process that comes with it. It's so worth it. Yeah. I mean, more growth happens when you prune. Can we talk about the volleyball situation? I totally <laughs> forgot about that. But, like, oh boy, maybe with parenting, I mean. Yes. And this is, yes. Oh, this is great because this is after. This is one of those things I mentioned. Did I have to, like, die to those things over time? Yes, here's a great example. My daughter's a junior, and she had been playing volleyball her whole life, and she's just, she's so much fun to watch. She's like the little Energizer Bunny who just pastures all the people when she's playing with them. Like, that's what that was her role. And I just remember over time, the joy had kind of dropped from her of experiencing that. There was something else going inside of her where I don't, she wasn't having fun. And so my thought is like, this is, this is good for you. Like, this is how you learn discipline. This is how you learn to commit to something. And you should read this book and talk to this counselor. And all the while God was doing something in her to redirect her heart. And I'm just looking at what's on paper, the achievement side. Even my prayers to God were very specific about, Lord, just show her how gifted she is in this sport and like how this is what she should be doing. And she's a junior at this point. We started having conversations on whether she should lay it down um, before her junior year. And I'm like, you're only, you're going to let your team down? Like all of these things. Um, I think I probably even threw scripture in there. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but these were ongoing conversations and she's such a different personality than me. Like she's, she was very sensitive to what God was trying to do in her, but not wanting to override just my push in that. So it kind of came to a head to where at the end of her junior year, um, she comes up to me and she's confidently saying, I'm going to let my volleyball coaches know I'm, I'm going to go ahead and quit and not do this my senior year. I went to respond to her like I normally would. And I literally, this hasn't happened since, and thankfully not too many times before. Literally, I felt like the Holy Spirit grabbed my tongue. And I couldn't speak except for to say, okay, over and over, okay. Everything, I was like, I have the answer for this. Like, we're going to have this out right now. All I could say was, okay. She goes in, has the hard conversations. They're so kind to her about it. And her senior year, she discovers she can sing. She starts to sing for her youth group. She is in the school play. She's thriving that year. And I was one statement away from that never happening. Mm -hmm. So just this those tendencies of your past, even when you like have those divine revelation, real Jesus moments, you still have to walk out 
sanctification and submission and whose voice are you really listening? Because mm-hmm. those tendencies were still in me. I was still working those out. But that was one I was so sure that I was right until I was very much shown I was wrong. <laughs> and lots of apologizing had to happen. I mean, that there was there was some things that I I needed to say to her because I wasn't listening to the right thing. And I know that had some that had some ramifications for her. So she's she's right now, um, she's 19, and she's interning with 180 Worship, our youth group, mm-hmm. and deciding what's next for her. She leaves on Saturday for as a leader on a Mexico mission trip. Like, she's really, like, her ministry gift started to surface, and I just realized I had, I personally, had been the, the one suppressing it this whole time. I was just looking at what was on paper. This is what we do. You're almost done. You stick it out. You're a team. All of the right words were coming mm-hmm. out. They yeah. weren't for her, though. So, yeah, that's one great example. Yeah. <laughs> I had to walk out a process with her. That, But what a good example for her, too, though, mm-hmm. that you came back and were like, hey, this is where I mm-hmm. maybe went in the wrong direction for you. Yes. Yes. And I, I have to – seems I have to apologize a lot about a lot of things, but <laughs> – but honestly, even to know that that's a wrong thing was new for me. And it did take some time for that to be surfaced. Just, I wasn't, I wasn't willing or ready. I, was, I wasn't willing to see it. I'll say it that way. Hmm. So, and God's so good. He just, I don't understand why he's as patient as he is about <laughs> things like this. Because he's just so... He's just so good about allowing you, if you need to learn a lesson in that moment, he's still going to have grace for that. And just, I had to choose not to have the condemnation of like, what could have happened if I would have realized this a year sooner? His timing doesn't work like that, so I have to be okay with that and just not hold on to regret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, think, to kind of tie in your C.S. Lewis quote mm-hmm. from a moment ago, in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh-huh. the character of Aslan tells one of the the book characters, "Are you going to find out what would have happened? No, you're mm. not going to find out what would have happened." Mm. And I think that we would love to know sometimes. Uh-huh. And that's something. When we get to heaven, uh-huh. we're going to find out lots of answers. Of you know how God used all the choices, all the twists and turns, uh-huh. and around the bend. He has such a good plan. And we can trust it. Yes. Yeah. And I love I love your story. I love how yeah. he's worked through these wonderful bends and twists mm-hmm. in your road. And oh, it's, just... it's very bendy. <laughs> it's <laughs> very bendy. Yes, but it's so true. And I'm thankful. I just, I learned something new. Even I'm similar to you. I'm reading through the Old Testament right now. And just the same pattern that was back then exists today. We... Mm-hmm. Right. He shows us his goodness. We forget. We, we whine and complain and go, why? <laughs> why? And then we're like, look at this golden calf. Like, it, those things still exist today. The mm-hmm. tendencies are still there. But to know the reality of God's goodness, even in the hard parts of what we do now. So even in the care moments that we've had recently where you can't explain to someone why their spouse was taken away or their son or their daughter you don't know why they didn't receive their healing the side of heaven. Mm-hmm. It is the unknown of that. But that's not tied. The circumstance is not tied to the goodness of God. And that's the thing for me that was revelatory. Oh, so this circumstance doesn't mean you're not good. And walking out what that is and the unknown of, of that. And helping other people to see it too. Can't, you can't speak to something that hasn't been revealed to you yet. And so that's been kind of a cool part of, of my story, too, is like I, now I can see some of that because I was willing to see it personally. Thank you for sharing today. We're so happy to have you. I love stories. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks for listening, everyone. We are so glad that you were here today to hear Priscilla's story. And something I am thinking about and pondering after 
our conversation is the thought that she's talked about. Don't shy away from asking God to search your heart. That's a really good nugget of truth I'm going to be thinking about and acting on today. And I did like that she talked about having to, we have to walk out our sanctification. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's not a flip switch. Um, and also the things that cause us to suppress our gifts are things that we really need to pay attention to, whether it's exhaustion and burnout or pride or too, just moving all the time and not really letting those things come up. We need to really ask God, what are, what are my gifts and, and how do you want to use these? And listen when he tells us. So anyway, we're just so thankful for Priscilla for coming and sharing her story. And we are so thankful that you were here to listen. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and we will be back again in a couple weeks. And can you believe April's around the corner? Oh my goodness. Wow. The, the summer is beckoning, everyone. Yay! <laughs> Have a great day. We're so glad that you were listening. Bye.